Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Good afternoon, church. Good to see you guys. Well, uh, we will have, uh, we have planned baby dedication, but we'll do that after the sermon portion, and we'll carry on that way. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, and we are reading from verses 1 through 7, uh, 1 through 11. And we hadn't been in 1 Corinthians in about a month, and I'm excited, as well as nervous, uh, as we have some parents uh, present with us, just the nature and the topic that we will explore, uh, we're going to need extra grace from God. So let's uh, explore the text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. And let's read together, shall we? Now, concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by a way of concession, not of... Not of command, yet I wish that all men were even as myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion." But to be married, but to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you that you have called us to your house. God, what a sweet, sweet time of praise that we are able to enjoy, God. God, we long to continue to honor you and and bless you, God, as we are gathered to hear of your word, God. God, I pray that speak to us both individually as well as corporately. Let the fresh revelation of your holy word, God, enlighten us and bring about transformation that is is recommended, that is uh, spurred on by your son, Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you have ready for us today. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen. So it's been some time since we were last in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's been about a month or so. The last time we were there, we looked into Paul's teaching on sexual immorality. In that, we looked at how God's design and intent of sex and and how important it was for us. And not only for humanity, but now what it means for us Christians altogether. Paul explained that the sexual sin is a serious one because as followers of Christ, 
Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and we've been bought by the blood of Christ. Therefore, that we are encouraged and taught that we are to honor God in all that we do, that with our bodies. And you'll also remember telling you that what city of Corinth was like. Corinth was a, a very unique city in that it was very highly advanced in culture, commerce. There was a ton of business and there was a ton of money being poured into. It was also an epic center of the Greek empire in arts and creativity. And, and in that, they expressed a lot of just individual selves. There was a high regard for humans as well. That was quite common in the Greek culture, meaning they were encouraged to do whatever that brought pleasure to them. Whatever the human beings deemed as good, they were encouraged and celebrated to do exactly that. So obviously, sex was definitely on people's minds. It was pretty much expected that if you're a guy, it was kind of common for a guy before marriage to sleep around and have as, as much sex as possible with many women as possible. Corinth was famous for having temple prostitutes as well. So any given day, a man will walk up to the temple and have sex with prostitutes. So a lot of these practices were, uh, practices were quite common. In some cases, even as a married man, it was actually okay or not looked down upon. They were not forbidden to have sex outside of their marriage, meaning they could roll up as long as the opposite person was of the lower class, they were also allowed to do so as well. So when the gospel was brought into the city of Corinth, and Paul was bringing upon them a new way of living. Paul was uh, uh, unloading on them that this is no longer the way you should live. You are to no longer do what pleases you. There's a set of uh, brand new standards. There's a truth now being lived in you and through you. And, and Paul was just explaining to them that there should be a change and transformation in the ways they lived. So obviously you could imagine if you're someone in Corinth residing, you're now just Christian. So you're, you're now there's a confusion of all different values. What you believe to be true, what you believe to be important and, and just okay, are no longer you're being challenged in the way of the Christian teaching was being brought upon them. And some of the questions were asked like in this way. What if I used to be a Jew? Now that I'm Christian, uh, am I to reverse? Uh, should I undo my circumcision? Kind of, it's kind of crazy to think about, but that's kind of the question that they had. Uh, what if I'm a slave because I needed to get out of debt, so I became a slave to somebody so I could pay off my debt, and now I'm called to be a, a slave of Jesus Christ. Can I do that at the same time? Can I belong to another human being while belonging and being a servant and slave to Jesus Christ? What about my relationship status? If I'm unmarried and I'm up to love God and pursue God with all that I have, is it okay that I can marry? And some of the married folks were thinking, well, if I'm to love Jesus more than anything in the world, does that mean as a married person I should get a divorce? That I should leave my wife, I should leave my family so that I could love Christ in a more focused way? So these are the questions, as you could imagine, the church leaders were confounded. They were troubled in the way how they could address these natural questions that were coming up. So you guys know the whole purpose of the, the first Corinthians and second Corinthians. Uh, all of these problems in the church were written up. It was presented to Paul. I said, Paul, Apostle Paul, you planted this church. You're the pastor. 
What should we do? So these are the questions that Paul is continuing to uh, uh, address to the people in, in the church of Corinth. And basically Paul is saying the theme of, you know what, the most important thing is, that the most important thing is you are to honor God first and foremost. And this is where we want to begin our study here. Uh, in fact, that's how Paul starts off in verse 1 saying, It's good for a man to marry. It's good for a man to marry. As we will see, Paul was not against marriage. However, let me get to that slide. Paul was not against marriage. He was continually for putting Christ first in all things. And he knew that as a married person, that would not be as easy, or they would not be able to do that as well as a single person. And Paul explains why this is in verse 28 to 35, which is where I would like for us to begin our study today. Let me read that for us. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world. How he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world." Now she may please her husband, this I say to your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistraction, devotion to the Lord. Everyone say, undistracted, devotion to the Lord. So, but please note that neither Paul nor Scripture is against marriage. As you know that Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make, make a helper suitable for him. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Proverbs 12 verse 4, A wife's noble character is her husband's crown. So Paul is not necessarily against marriage, nor the scriptures of God is against marriage. But Paul's point in these verses we just read is simply that our time as ambassadors of God's kingdom, it is far easier for a single person to uh, uh, attend to the call of God, attend to the kingdom matters far more efficiently than a married person does. And, And let's think very practically here. Uh, between a, a married people, between a married person and a single person, who is more likely to have um, more free time? A single person would. Who is likely to have, uh, I mean, more people to care for? Married people. Now, if we're talking married with children. So, Paul is being v- very practical here. here. Uh, you guys know that Paul was also uh, spent a good portion of his life, if not all of his, all of his life, as a single person. He's saying, well, it just makes more sense as a single person. You're able to attend to the kingdom matters far better or far more than someone who is married. And there's a singular focus that a single person is able to pursue God with, with, with such tenacity and more efficiency. So this entire chapter 7 is framed as Paul's main concern is in light of living our lives wholly devoted to Christ. 
not entangled by sin, not enamored with distractions of this world, or even sexual temptations, but as a single person, Paul is saying, well, by all means, if you're able to live that way, we, I encourage you because as a single person, you're able to attend to the Lord's matter far greater than a married person. In high school, when I, when I became Christian and, and you, you hear the teachings of God, you hear the teachings of Apostle Paul, and, and honestly, all of us thought, because uh, when you talk to a high school person, we're not really what eager to get married, right? So when we study God's word and like, this is it, guys. We're going to live our lives loving God, doing God's work. We're going to be missionaries. We, all of us thought we're going to be pastors. We're just going to do God's work, right? So you know what we signed up for? God, help us, God. And many of us falsely thought we had, we had the call of celibacy. And we begin, some of us crazy ones, we begin to pray, God, give us the gift of celibacy. God, help us to never marry God because you're enough for us. You know what happened? As, as soon as we hit like late uh, teenage years and we went to college and like, well, that was the dumbest prayer that we could ever pray. Because our physical desires and needs just overpower any kind of spiritual conviction. Right? So, so we, were, we were not wise. We were not practical in thinking that regard. But what Paul is saying as a single person, you're able to attend to God. You're able to do away any kind of, more easily, sexual immoralities. I love what John, uh, John Piper says in regards to celibacy for singlehood. This is what he says. God promises those of you who remain single in Christ blessings that are better than the blessings of marriage and children. And He calls you to display by the Christ-exalting devotion of your singleness. The truths about Christ and His kingdom that shine more clearly through singleness than through marriage and childbearing. These are some incredible words, even though that, uh, th- this, these words are not written in the Bible. But a, a, a pastor, a prominent, like John, John Piper says, you know what? There is special favor and anointing that comes as one preserves himself or one preserves herself. Living the rest or the, the entirety of his or her life, God preserves that person and God uses that singleness in bringing God's glory. And maybe even some of us in this room may uh, have thought that. Maybe perhaps God is calling me to never marry. Maybe God is setting me aside for the entirety of my my life so that I can devote my attention and all of my efforts could be directed to attending to the affairs of God. Well, that being said... Paul is also very aware that most of us, most of us cannot live that way. And his advice for us in this case, well, because this is so difficult, I understand. And Paul knew very well that this was a very difficult thing to do. And he says, by all means, then, you should marry. So, verses 2 to 9 Paul basically lays out instructions for those who decide to get married and saying, verse 3 says, But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. 
The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have the authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have the authority over his own body, but the wife does. Here, the main idea that I want you to remember from this section is that marriage should help all of us and should protect us from sin. Paul talks about sexual relations in a way that, well, that is provided for us. Marriage is being provided for us a platform so that we may not fall into greater sin in sex. And we should be sure that God's design for marriage partners is clear and consistent throughout Scripture. In verse 2, Paul says, Each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. uh, Paul is indirectly saying, One man, one woman, marriage is between man and woman, and every person, every married couple should have only one partner. And one of the primary functions of marriage is that, that it should protect us from the sin of sexual immorality. Remember that he just got done warning about the dangers of sexual, sexual immorality in chapter 6. Remember that? We, we, Paul talks about how man and woman just giving themselves, doing whatever pleases their bodies, right? Now Paul is explaining that marriage is the appropriate and God-given arena for sex. And this is actually God's intent and God's specific design. And the key instruction here that he gives in verses 3 to 5 is that neither the husband nor the wife should withhold sex from one another. And and as you read these verses, I want you to think differently. Okay? And it says, verse 5, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you Because of your lack of self-control. Paul is saying, between a married man and a married woman, if you're a husband and wife, you are to submit yourselves. You you have the responsibility and the call of satisfying each other's needs. And you are to make sure that your husband, neither your husband or your wife, falls under sin as you neglect your responsibility of fulfilling the needs and the desires of your spouse. It's like that's a God-ordained responsibility and calling for each husband and each wife. All you married folks, listen up. That is your responsibility. It is your responsibility as a man to please your wife. It is your responsibility as a wife to fulfill the needs of your husband. Can we get an amen? Very awkward place to say amen. But I want you guys to get used to this thought because we don't necessarily think of marriage in this regard. We think of marriage as, man, I love my wife, I I love my husband. And we think it's all about feelings. We think it's all about romance. One of the greatest surprises that I learned when I got married is that I really, as a single person, you know, for me, I happened to have waited until I got married to have sex. Uh, one of the surprises when I got married is like, you know, there are actually days that you don't think about sex. It's so awkward to be looking at the parents this way. <laughs> they, I mean, you guys agree with me? When you get married as a single person before having sex, all you could think about is, man, God, like, 
forgive me for my lustful thoughts, forgive me for not being able to penetrate, right? But once you get married, I was shocked that there are actually days. You could actually go weeks without thinking about sex. And we realized that, well, if that goes on for a long time, did you also know that it gets pretty awkward between husband and wife? I, honestly, I don't know who to look at when I'm talking about this right now. <laughs> so, so I'm just talking, right? I remember uh, someone asked me when I got married, so, so Scott, what, what was the best thing about getting married? You know what? No, with, honest to God, you know what I said? I said, you know what? I could finally pray about kingdom stuff. I don't, I don't have to pray about like resisting my temptations and I've resisted all these. I've, so much of that is just my battling with sexuality. When I'm married, it's like, you know, that's all gone. But on the flip side, I could also find myself like it, doesn't, it also doesn't consume you. But we forget that as husband and wife, we have the responsibility to fulfill the needs that we have. And that God has created the arena of marriage for, so, so sex can be practiced. And I, I've, I, I, was, I received the consent from my wife to talk a little bit about our marriage. So I'm going to do that. There are times we go longer stretch. And, you know, I say, hey, honey, like, please, it's been some time. <laughs> I, I, I have to. I say, it's been some time. And, and, and that's when I say that, I used to be very shy. It used to be very awkward. But I, after a while, it's like, it's got to happen. <laughs> so I say, honey, like, like, please. And then, you know, they're like, another surprise is that, did you know that the desires never match either? Some days guys think about it. Some days like girls think about it. And more, less frequently do those days match. Guess what then? It's those days when the desires are not matching and the one person desires the one person is not thinking about it. Guess what? That's what Paul is saying. Remember in those times, remember that your body is no longer just your own. You have the responsibility to meet and to satisfy the needs of your spouse. So do not reject. So in my passively asking my wife, honey, I have needs too. That's me quoting Paul saying, you know what? Do not deny me. Because if you deny me, guess what? You are letting me loose for the possibility of falling into sin. I'm not saying that, but I, I want every single married person and married, uh, married person, uh, woman and man, you need to be recognizing this truth as well. Just because you as a married person, just because you're not having sex with one another, it does not mean that desires are not there. It does not mean that sexual desires are dissipated and completely absent from you. Let me ask this very difficult question then. If you are not getting the pleasure and the satisfaction from your wife or from your husband, where are you going? What is the other arena which you can attend to? Paul says, if you are married... Understand that your body is no longer just yours. You have the responsibility. It is a call now. Attend to the needs and make sure that you prevent each other from falling into sexual immorality. Does that make sense? And parents, we are so gracious. I don't know if you're catching everything. (laughs) 
so this is my charge to you. If you are a married person, you should absolutely be having sex with your spouse. Okay? That is God's design. This is a sacred ordinance. And this is what we talked about the last time we talked about 1 Corinthians. Is that this is beyond just physical intimacy. There's a lot more just happening just in the physical realm. There's an emotional unity that's happening. There's a spiritual bonding that's happening as God ordained this physical act in the, the arena of marriage. And also... We do so so that we do not fall into sexual immorality. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you get lazy. Sometimes you are tired. The last thing you want is to have sex. But understand that even in the lack of desires or need on your part, make sure, converse with your spouse so that we keep each other in the healthy state of uh, focusing on God and resisting the temptations that we might face in this regard. Is that okay? Now, and I'm being a little bit ambitious here. Uh, we don't have the time to go really in depth in all of these single points, but I, I did have the responsibility of covering uh, the entire chapter 7, so I'm going to just kind of uh, 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 hit some of these points. Next, Paul talks about divorce. Similar to the instructions about the makeup of marriage being between one and one woman being consistent throughout Scripture, we also find that instruction about divorce are always the same as well. Now, in essence, we're taught that, and generally, we're taught that God opposes, and God does not really condone divorce. But because God knows that we're vulnerable people, He outlines instructions regarding divorce throughout Scripture, such as here in verse 10 and 11. This is what it says. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Paul says, not I, but the Lord. I think Paul is being very intentional here. He's not wanting to uh, say something, well, this is not something that I ca came up with. I'm not creating up a, a different system of what divorce is. He's simply saying, well, this is what Jesus taught in this topic. And this is Paul's way of letting them know that he was quoting Jesus. And Jesus had directly taught about a certain sub subject. Paul explains, Jesus taught that a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she has two options. Either to remain unmarried or to be reconciled to her husband. And this rule also applies for husbands as well. Upon divorce, there is to be no remarriage. But it, this is a little bit dicey, a little bit tricky for us as modern day Christians, how to interpret scriptures, right? So I think for us, the only thing that I can say at this point without going too much in depth is that if you are in that category of divorce or having been alone after the con uh, being uh, consummated together in marriage, then all uh, the standards and the teaching of chapter 7 here, consider yourself as a single person receiving the Word of God. Now, use a time to focus on God. Use a time to uh, uh, put all of your efforts, all of your devotion in pursuit of God. And now there's another uh, a group here 
Paul talks about instructions for those who become Christians after marriage. In verses 12 to 14 it says, But to the rest I say, not the Lord, but if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Simply saying, for those who become Christian after they are married, and their spouse does not come to faith subsequent to you coming to faith, Paul teaches that if it is possible, he says, don't divorce. That is not the cause of your divorce. Let's say you enter the marital union as two non-Christians. But upon getting married, you became a believer, and your spouse is not yet a believer. Paul is saying, don't let that be the cause of divorce. And he's saying, God can use that relationship. God can bring your spouse to faith. He's not talking about, he's not talking about salvation specifically, but he's talking about that you can have influence so that your spouse can one day become Christian. So if there's one, anyone among you here, if you know of family members and friends, let's say that husband and, uh, husband and wife, they're not both Christian. Well, Paul is saying, that is not necessarily the grounds for them to be divorced because God can still redeem. God can still bring enlightenment so that the unconverted, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, a person who is not yet converted into faith, that God can reveal that truth to that person. I know it's kind of a lot of stuff that we touched upon, perhaps heavy topics, perhaps uncomfortable topics. But we have to understand the reasons why Paul is going uh, teaching at great length because this stuff is very important. Whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you are divorced, whether you're called into the life of uh, complete celibacy, the focus is that our job, we are encouraged by God, we are encouraged and compelled by Paul to say, fix your eyes on Christ. Place your entire devotion. Give all of your heart and living your life. Christ Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And you may notice that Paul's advice goes against the grain, no matter who you are. You know, as I was studying this, the most common criticism of a lot of Christians' teaching on sex is this. Uh, this is the secular criticism of the Christian's belief and teaching of sex. And some of the liberal or whatever you want to categorize the Christian circles. And their criticism of, uh, of teaching on sex is this. Is that, it, that Christianity assumes that there is a norm. Which that norm happens to be heterosexual monogamy. And that and that's accessible and livable by the vast majority of people. You guys, you guys getting this? There's the, the most common criticism is that Christians assume that um, heterosexual monogamy is the way to go. And that comes more naturally. And that's the only way. In other words, it assumes that monogamous heterosexual sex comes fairly naturally. It just assumes this. 
Well, the problem with that is what the Bible calls us to doesn't really come naturally. It's natural for nobody, married, single, gay, or straight. Nobody naturally lives a life of sexual self-denial and sacrificial service. These two concepts come easily to nobody. So the Bible, what the Bible calls all of us to something that comes naturally to none of us, and is something that doesn't come easily or normally. And we are called to a life of discipline. We are called to a life of self-denial and confirmation to the ways of the gospel. You mean, you know, I've been married now. We will celebrate in a few months. We will celebrate 14 years of marriage. You know what? I, I know, sometimes I get shocked. I can't believe I'm this old. I can't believe that I've actually been married for 14 years. You know what else I, what else I can't believe? Man, I, I am so, I am just as vulnerable in being faithful in my marriage in year 14 than I was in year 1. I am in no better protection living in this world. If anything, I'm in under worse in protection Meaning being faithful to my wife, being faithful to my family is getting more difficult and difficult. Not because my, my, my love for my wife has dissipated. Just by the sheer of the world's teaching, the societal norms changing, and the ways that human beings are acting out even more freely, and exploration of their sinful nature, it's becoming more and more difficult. So what the Bible commands for me to do is difficult. But because, just because it's difficult, we are also not to consider, well, maybe I'm just called to do what comes more naturally for us. So as evangelical Christians, for every person, one of you sitting in this room, as you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we must not resist Perhaps along the way of marriage, we have to continue to fight the fights and not fall into temptations and the sin of sexual immorality. Meaning if you're a married man, your job is to stay faithful to your wife. If you're a married woman here, your job is to stay faithful to your husband. And married couples together continue to attend to one another. See it as that you have the responsibility, not responsibility, you have the privilege to serve your spouse. Remember, perhaps this sermon should encourage some of us, think twice about saying no to your spouse. Why? We have the responsibility. God has brought us together in the holy matrimony. He says, you too, I have ordained long ago so that you, you may display the beautiful union that I have for you. Celebrate my goodness. Celebrate the unity of the Trinity in your marriage as well. It also reminds us that satisfaction will never be found in being married or single, but in laying down our lives to love others and to, and to serve Christ. And that call is the same for anyone any stage of your life. 
Some of us that are single, you dream about getting married. And I get it. Some of us think, man, when is my turn going to come? You know what? I thought that too. I mean, I, I think I've disclosed this before. You know, in, in many, many years ago when I was in my 20s, uh, the, the timing of people getting married was a lot sooner than it is now. So it's a lot more common now, people getting married in 30s. Before that, in my, when I was in my 20s, I was like, well, you better not turn 30 and, and still be single. So I, I remember praying. That was my life goals. God, please let me marry before the age of 30. I remember. But I remember like, man, God, as if, as if like, oh, if I get married, like, oh, that's going to solve all the problems. Like, well, no matter whether I'm single or married, my job is to continue to be faithful, to be filled with the mission and the purpose that Christ brings upon my life. And I pray that you would recapture the beauty of being married, being single. Amen?